0: Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We're nearing the end of Moses' second of uh, five sermons that he is delivering to the children of Israel on the east side of the Jordan River, immediately opposite the city of Jericho, uh, prior to the second generation of Jews that came out of Egypt uh, entering into the promised land. And so he is reiterating to the second generation the law that God had given to him. We've got a plane going over? Helicopter. Helicopter. Very good. Thank you. Don't leave me. So, I did not know if we had an F-16 coming in and going to take us all out here or something. But the children of Israel, the first generation, they had... Uh, received the law and then because of their lack of faith they died in the wilderness and so now Moses is repeating that law to the second generation and uh, and he's going to ask for a commitment from them as we get into chapter 27 but we're not there yet. So we pick it up in verse uh, 26 as he continues to lay it out to the folks. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it. I, isn't it great when God speaks in the kind of the past tense of a, of a future event in our lives. His promises, he already speaks of it as is, is, uh, taking place. It's so sure, his promises. That you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God has given you. And so each year they were to take a, a portion of their first harvest of the year, put it in a basket, Go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Go to the tabernacle, ultimately to the temple. And uh, so they, they were to, this was the offering of first fruits that they were uh, to bring. And, and this was how they were to offer that offering of first fruits. And you shall say, um, let's see, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. verse 3. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today, To the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give to us. And so he was to not only was the offer to bring this sacrifice, acknowledging that this great harvest that we have received now as they would begin to cut it has come from the Lord, uh, but then they would make this public declaration that all of this is grace uh, because of God's uh, work in in their life. And so it was just that acknowledgement. Everything that I have comes from God. He's been too good to me, and, uh, and I recognize that. And then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand, containing the wheat and, uh, or the barley, whatever the grain might be, set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God. So one thing was pronounced to the priest. Now this would be declared... To God, you shall answer and say before the Lord, your God, my father was a Syrian about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, became a nation great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. so this would be the declaration a person would bring that. Uh, sheaf of grain, give it to the priest, make this declaration of how good God is to the priest, and then cry out to the Lord concerning his humble, uh, you know, uh, humble heritage. When it talks about, here you've got a Jew saying, a Jewish person offering something to the Lord saying, my father was a Syrian. Actually, it's Aramean. When, Mo, when God called uh, Abraham to come out of uh, Babylon, out of Ur of the Chaldees. He didn't go all the way in one shot uh, to Canaan, to the Promised Land. He stopped in a city by the name of Haran, and uh, which is in uh, south um, uh, eastern Turkey today. And he settled down for a while there. And, uh, and a portion when he left Haran to then go to uh, the promised land to Canaan, he left a significant portion of his family there in Haran, and so they continued there and had children and all of these kinds of things. And you remember when Abraham wanted a son, uh, a, a wife for um, for Isaac, he sent his uh, his servant back to Haran, back to his relatives to get a wife for his son Jacob when he was. Uh, running away from Esau and he Uh, went to uh, Laban's house and falls in love with Rachel and ends up married to Leah also. They were in Haran. They were in that area. So Jacob is the one that's being referred to. The worshiper is saying, I am a descendant of Jacob. I am a descendant of of, of an Aramean in the sense that uh, this was the lineage that they came from. And, And for a Jew to say, I am a descendant of an Aramean or I am an Aramean, it was just a way of saying, you know, God picked us us out just out of all the populations of the whole big wide world and He just called us and He put His favor on us. We're not any better than anybody else. We weren't any more special. It was just God's choosing. So it's an expression of humility here. And we went down into Egypt and you remember Jacob went down into uh, Egypt and his 12 sons, which ultimately constituted the 12 tribes of Israel, 70 in number. by the time they leave in the Exodus, they number two to three million. They were mistreated. And so the review of the history and the review of the history is, Lord, we come from very humble origins. Uh, we have a very, very humble history. And the fact that we now live in the promised land and we are offering grain to you is an evidence of how gracious you are. We don't deserve this, not one bit. I don't know how much of your life you look at and you say, God, I don't deserve this much of it, not one bit. It's good to look at the whole life that way. And, and so, just a, a, a deep uh, expression of humility and thanksgiving to God. God, we wouldn't have even survived long enough to go into Egypt, much less to be delivered out of Egypt apart from your grace. And then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, looked on our affliction and our labor. And our oppression there. And so the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with great terror and signs and wonders. And He has brought us to. So verse 8, this is what He's brought us out of. And then verse 9, this is the life that He's brought us into. He's brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was an expression of thanksgiving twofold. God, I can't believe the life that you pulled me out of. I would have been thankful to you forever for delivering me from my former bondage. But then your grace upon grace, you not only take me out of the bondage of my former life of sin, but then you bring me into this unbelievable life of a relationship with you. They're talking about land, talking about Egypt, talking about, you know, dirt under the ground. It's all a picture, in a higher sense, of what we have in Christ spiritually. What He delivered us out of, what we once were apart from Christ I would have taken just that. But then to be saved into a personal relationship with God, who takes care of the big details in my life and the small details, and then gives me eyes to see how good and kind He's being to me and to you, it's the greatest life. And what the worshiper is essentially saying about physical things is, would somebody pinch me? I can't believe what God has done in my life. I can't believe this is real. I can't believe that God has done what He has done in my life to someone so insignificant and overlooked and from such a humble background. And that's what we all feel on a greater level than anyone bringing a sheaf of wheat to the temple related to salvation. So this is, I mean, their their hearts would have been full just with, Lord, I can't believe the life that I get to live. I hope you feel that tonight about your life and about what God has done in your life, I I certainly feel it in, in mine. And so you've brought us not only out of Egypt, but you've brought us to this place and have given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. And so, Lord, I, it, it, giving to God is, for them was just a, re, a, a way to just say, Lord, I recognize it. I get it. You have been amazing. And then you shall set it before the Lord your God. And worship before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. So you got all these blessings, and then that some. So that there can be some of us with a personality type that look and say, "Well, boy, God's being so good to me. Hey, he, the other shoe's going to drop somewhere here. Hey, just going to hammer me somewhere here." And the Lord said, "No, don't be thinking that way about me." I've blessed you here. I want you to recognize it. I don't want you to be afraid to just do some sanctified boasting and praising and, uh, uh, of, of me in this rejoice in my blessings that you recognize uh, in in your life and uh, celebrate them. They're to be celebrated. It won't be it won't be any kind of bad luck to do that. Oh boy, if I really then you know tomorrow he'll turn off the faucet. Nope. That's not the way. He he's got infinite resources, and he loves to bless us. Then he moves on to the law of the tithe of the third year. Now, there's a, there's a title for a song. I don't know that it would be very good, uh, but it's a good kind of ceremony that they were to perform, and the reason behind it is very good, too. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. So you remember, as we were looking earlier in the law, every third year they were to give a regular tithe to the support of the temple and the things of God in Jerusalem, ultimately in Jerusalem and all. But every third year they were to give a second tithe that was to be given to the poor in their village or in their city, also to support the Levites that were living uh, in the city. And so this is what he's talking about, being sure to do that. Now it's interesting, God's got a problem with with us, is is his his children in Old Testament New Testament. He knows he's going to bless them like crazy so how can he bless his children and still have them keep their heads screwed on straight and not begin to think that it's them or their works or their righteousness or their goodness or worse For them to just start to take the blessings of God for granted. That it's just going to come my way. There's no longer any praise or thanksgiving coming from my life toward God as He blesses my life. So God wants to bless us, but He knows as descendants of Adam we can be corrupted by it. And so how does He keep that thankfulness in our heart? How does He keep us constantly reminded of the fact that all of our blessings come from Him and He does it? By prescribing that they would give offerings to him, and he would bless them enough to do a double tithe, so the giving wasn't so. God looks and says, "Man, I just I wish I didn't have my stock in GM. We're tits tight like crazy up here right now in heaven, and and we need to take second and third offerings now. God doesn't need any money; he's fabulously wealthy." But the whole idea of giving is to give us an opportunity to express, No, Lord, I get it. I mean, you're blessing me like crazy so much that without a chance to give to you and acknowledge to you, I could begin to forget you in all of this. And so that's why he does the, the offerings. And so this was a part of that. It was the, the giving was not just for the fatherless and the stranger and the widow and the Levite. They needed to give. And and so this is why he has set it up. And then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe, this tithe of the third year, from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, according to all your uh, all the. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are these are are the words moving on your page? and the widow according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. Lord, I've given the second tithe on the third year. I haven't eaten any of it. Uh, it, it, when in mourning, in other words, I haven't taken that tithe and given it to a friend whose father died and so they could have a nice meal at the, at the wake or whatever. So he said, I, I didn't take in this tithe and bring it under my own control and spend it how I wanted to, uh, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, for a sinful use, nor given any of it for the dead. And in those days, and the nations all around them, They would have this kind of ancestral thing where they felt that they had to feed their ancestors. So great amounts of their food would be put out for their dead ancestors and be wasted. And so they were to say, no, we aren't involved in any of that. I've obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless uh, your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey and so the worshipper would be saying you can check you can check out my house god from one end to the other you won't find your tithe in it it's been given out and then as in response to his act of obedience of, of giving to god he would then say lord i I have obeyed you here because I want your great blessing to continue, not only upon my life, but upon the whole land of Israel. And, of course, obedience allows God's blessings uh, to flow in our lives. This day the Lord your God commands, and Moses now concludes this second sermon, this day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. So he's not just talking about chapter 26. He's talking about how long have we been in Sermon 2? Long time. So he's talking about a lot of the law here saying, listen, you need to observe all of this. Obey it uh, fully. Today you have proclaimed... The Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his judgments and that you will obey his voice. And so he's acknowledging to the second generation, you standing here now, you need to make the same commitment. In fact, a little better commitment to obey the Lord than the first generation did. But that's what he's calling them to do. You've heard the law. Now what you need to do is commit your, your life to obeying God's word. And also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be His special people, just as He promised you that you should keep all His commandments and that He will set you on high. Here's the blessings of obedience that God would set them on high above all nations which He has made in praise. In name and in honor, and you shall be holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. So Moses brings all of this uh, to, a, to a conclusion, and now they all know uh, the law and, and the promises related to it. Now, in chapter 27, it's interesting because um, now you've got to sign the contract. And, and the Old Testament relationship with God was, of course, uh, more legal than our relationship with God in, in, in the New Testament. So you remember the first generation came out of Egypt and uh, Moses went up and got the law from God on Mount Sinai and the people said, "Whoa boy, you know, and there's fire and smoke and all these things. They said, listen, you talk to God, bring us the law and bring us the news and We'll do whatever he says. And they made a commitment uh, to keep the law there at the base of Mount Sinai. And they ended up not keeping it, but that was, that, that was, that's a different kind of problem. So here's the second generation. Their parents' commitment to God, that doesn't do them any good. Uh, so now they need to make their own commitment. In other words, they need to, in some way, sign the contract and say, Yes, God, we're on. We want to have this relationship with you. And for our part, we will obey your word. And so that's what's happening in chapter 27. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep the commandments which I command you today. So he calls on the people now. This, I'm calling you now. You've heard the commandments. Now I want you to obey them. He stands before the children of Israel with the elders, with the leaders of Israel. And he does that probably because in just a matter of days, Moses is going to go home to be with the Lord. He's not taking them into the Promised Land. So the people that are going to be the witness to whether they're going to keep this contract or not is going to be the elders that are going to lead them into the land, Joshua probably being one of them, Caleb another one, and, and, and others, as we'll see as we move through the Bible further. And it shall be on the day... When you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourself... Large stones, and you shall whitewash them with lime. So, you get these big stones, and you whitewash them with lime, or kind of, we would say, you would plaster them. That part of Israel, uh, where all of this is going to happen, there's a lot of lime there. And so, all the nat- uh, natural ingredients were right there for them to use. So, sh- he says, take these big stones, and then cover them with a white lime. Uh, so that you can then write something on them. And here's what you are to write, verse 3. You shall write on them all the words of the law. When you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the God of your fathers promised you. So God said, the first act I want you to do when you cross over that Jordan River... And into the land is, I want you to write all of the laws that I've given you uh, on these stones that have been uh, plastered. Well, that's uh, some people, there's different ideas about what he's talking about when he says writing the law on these stones. He could be r- talking about writing the entire book of Deuteronomy. It's possible that, that it means that. It might mean that he was calling them to write the 613, 614 individual commandments that make up the Pentateuch or the, uh, the first five books of the Bible, the law uh, of Moses. Or it could mean that it was just a call to write the Ten Commandments since the Ten Commandments were kind of an encapsulation of all of the law. We don't know. But the idea was, was that they were to cross and whatever represented God's word to them was to be written on these rocks. And therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today and you shall whitewash them with lime and Mount Ebal, we'll return to that in just uh, a couple of minutes from now Mount Ebal was, to the, it was and is to the north of Israel I mean of Jerusalem about 25 miles and so this is where all those, these events were to occur and you shall also write the law and uh, there you shall also Build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, and you shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build the whole, with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God. And so um, the, God has given them the law of, uh, of Moses, so that's the contract. That's, okay, how many pages? Eighteen pages or whatever it might be. That's the contract with God. How do you sign a contract with God? God says, I'll tell you how we sign contracts with me. We do it by way of sacrifice. So you need to have the law represented, the contract. And I want you to set up an altar. When you build that altar, don't make it all fancy schmancy. I don't want anybody leaving this ceremony talking about the altar. I want them leaving talking about my word and talking about me. So he says, no fancy altars, no fancy carved stones, just take what you find in the land, use it as an altar, the stones, uh, in order to make the sacrifices uh, to me. And here were the offerings that they were to, to offer on that altar. You shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Now we remember from earlier in the law... The distinctive characteristic of the burnt offering was that the sacrifice, dead sacrifice, would be placed upon the fire and it would be consumed entirely by the fire because a burnt offering represents the complete consecration of the offerer to God. It was a way of a person saying, God, my life is yours 100%. You can spend it any way that you want. So when they offered that burnt offering, it was for them as a nation to say, God, we belong to you. We're all yours. You use us how you see fit. And then they shall also offer peace offerings, and you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. Now, the distinctive characteristic of the peace offering was that you would bring the sacrifice to the priest, a portion of it, would be taken by the priest and dedicated to God, but a portion of that would then be returned to the worshiper. And so the worshiper would be eating meat or eating uh, a a meal that, in terms of imagery, God was eating also. So it spoke about relationship with God. Remember, Jews had a very uh, mystical view related to eating, and that's one of the reasons a Jew would never eat with a Gentile is that when you sat down at a table, you got the breads out, you got the sauces out, I take a piece from that uh, single loaf of bread and I dip it into um, it's, uh, olive oil and vinegar. Oh, outstanding. Delicious. Then you take it and you put it there too. You're eating bread from the same loaf I'm eating and they viewed it as us becoming mystically one. We're united by the meal. The same bread that is in you is in me now. And so when they would eat that portion of the sacrifice that would be given back to them, it it, it represented we've become one with God through this sacrifice. So it was a fellowship offering, and it was an offering that was uh, just saying uh, thanksgiving to God, expressing thanksgiving to God that He had made a way for them to have personal relationship with, with Him. And so these were the offerings that were to be Offered, and in offering those offerings, that was the signature on the contract. That's how you signed a contract with God. That's how they signed this contract. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. And so Moses repeats that for emphasis. And then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. Oh, by the way, the beginning of chapter 27 sermon number 3. We got out of sermon number 2. Really it was nothing. Please, no applause. I don't I don't I'm not worthy of it. Okay, very good. You weren't tempted. Okay. So I'm just kidding. So we begin sermon number three now, and sermon number three is chapter 27 and, uh, and 28. So a new thing is happening now and what Moses is communicating to them. Let's sign the contract. Let's make the covenant with, with God. Then the Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, "'Take heed and listen, O Israel.'" This day you have become the people of the Lord your God, therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command to you this day. So again, the command to obey, but remember it's another sermon. So hes you can say, how many times is he going to say that? Well, he says it a lot, but, I, but you do need to know that it's a separate sermon. And Moses then, following this exhortation of the people to obey God, He commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan. And and these were the six tribes that were to stand on Mount Gerizim after they entered into the promised land. The ceremony follows in just a moment. And, And so here it is, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And so you've got uh, six tribes of Israel, six on Mount Gerizim, and uh, six on Mount uh, Ebal. Now, Mount Ebal and, and Mount Gerizim, again, 25 miles to the north, uh, of, of Jerusalem, the uh, uh, six tribes to be on one mount and uh, six tribes on the other mount and one group there on Mount Gerizim. They were to bless the people. In other words, they were to pronounce uh, and, and, and say kind of a hearty amen when God would say, here are the blessings of obedience. Then this whole group, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, they would chime in and say, amen, so be it, that's the truth. And then when God would declare uh, that... That to disobey a particular commandment would bring a curse on them, then these hundreds of thousands that made up these other six tribes they would also say amen and uh, and they would uh, kind of stand b- behind and, and speak of, of the amen of the curse that would come upon them if they would disobey the lord 's uh, words so you 've got this twenty five miles north of Jerusalem you 've got Mount Gerizim Mount Ebal and uh, and the distance between them we, they're called mounts. They certainly aren't mountains by California standards. They're kind of mounds. They're, they're good sized mounds or pretty, more than a hill. Let's put it that way. Okay? Uh, Everything's a little smaller in Israel. And uh, so, in between these two, uh, two mounts is a small valley, uh, just about the distance of the length of about five football fields. So, not that big and uh, Moses and the Levites are going to stand right in the middle of that valley and they're going to shout out God's commandments, the blessings that come with obeying God later the the cursings that will come for disobeying God and as, as they would shout out God's Word then all of the people on both of the mounts would then cry out Amen and Amen means so be it, that's the truth. So a pretty amazing thing that we're going to head into. I mean, you picture it: you got hundreds of thousands of people on this mount, hundreds of thousands on this mount. The laws being read, and then these people, as it's read, they say, "Amen." I mean, it would have been thunderous, just a majestic ceremony. And the idea of it was that no one would forget that the rest of their lives. If you were in the, if you were on either of those mounts or in that valley on that day. To the day you died, you would talk about Were you there? Do you remember? Wasn't that something? And so it would be etched in their memory. And and that's exactly the purpose behind the whole kind of dramatic presentation here. Is God wanted this, the blessings that come with his obedience to his word, the cursings that come with disobeying his word, to be just etched in their memory. So the Lord, he uses a lot of ways to teach, doesn't he? And, he's, and so he's not above using something uh, dramatic uh, like that. So this is what they were the whole thing was being, uh, the, the, the setup for the whole thing that follows now in verse 14. And the Levites shall speak here in the, between those two valleys, uh, the valley between the two mounts. They shall speak with a loud voice, everybody could hear, and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, idolatry, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. In other words, God said there's a, a, a curse on idolatry, even if it's done in secret, because why? Because God, there's no secret with God says you may not see it. I see it. I don't like it. So he pronounces a curse upon idolatry and all of the people shall answer and say Amen. There we go. Alright. Okay. I think, it was a little, I think it was a little better in those days. But anyway, just you get the idea. Alright. Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. And so disrespect for parents and all the people shall say there we go. All right. You feel the Jewish blood flowing, don't you? Huh? Hey, we're grafted in. Don't worry about it. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. So changing the boundaries of the land, your land, enlarging your land at boundary at the expense of your neighbor in order to enrich yourself at his expense. And so that was, uh, that was condemned by God. And all of the people shall say, Amen. There we go. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road. And of course, a blind person would be very vulnerable to this kind of thing. And if a person mistreated a blind person, ran them off the road, it would be a very, very kind of cruel person that would do that. Well, the blind person is, does not have the physical ability to identify the person that had been so cruel to them. But God said, I got eyes that see, and, I, and I'll watch that and I'll see that, and I'll, I'll curse the person. Uh, Who does that? And all of the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, taking advantage of the powerless and the poor in the culture. God said, I'll curse. I will take note of that if you do that to these people, and I will curse you for it. And all the people shall say, Amen." Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife. So here is sexual sin because he has uncovered his father's bed. And so, talking about sexual purity, uh, not becoming involved physically with a stepmother. And, of course, this kind of stuff went on in the nations around them, and, and so God warned them against it, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Very good. we very excited over here on that, to condemn that, which I'm in complete agreement with. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, so incest, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his, his mother, so even half-sisters, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and the idea is to uh, secretly murder your neighbor. And so, they, they here's someone who murders their neighbor. They get away with it. Nobody saw, uh, saw them do it. But God said, I saw it, and I will make sure that justice comes down on this person. You, do you believe that? I believe that. I believe that. I don't care, I don't care how much, uh, if somebody gets away with something, that God, if they have any kind of a conscience at all, God is going to make that person pay for that. You say, well, they could sear their conscience. Alright, penalty enough. Can you imagine living with no conscience in this world? The sin that you would devolve down into and the kind of person that you would become would be terrible. So the Lord said, listen... Don't think you can murder your neighbor and get something from them or whatever and, and that you're going to get off completely free on it. I will judge uh, that person. All the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. This is hiring a hitman. And God holds both the person who would kill the person, that got, the person that got hired to do the killing, the assassin, and also the person that did the hiring, hold them both accountable and declare that he would curse them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. And so here he takes, in in verse 26, he's basically saying, um, they estimate that the uh, Jewish rabbis uh, look at the law of Moses, and when they've gone through the law of Moses to count up how many commands there are, Um, I've heard both numbers, that there are 613 commandments. I've heard people say there's 614. I wonder what commandment they're struggling with. It kind of does the thing back and uh, forth on it. But the idea here is that all of these cursings that he's spoken, he's spoken about economics, he's spoken about uh, family, uh, not tearing apart the family unit. He's talking about... Um, you know, the, the powerless and, and the needy. He's, he's used a cross-section of commandments here in order to represent the totality of the law of Moses. And so now he's saying, not all, I'm not just limiting myself to these, you know, double handful of, of cursings. There is a curse on anyone who does not confirm, confirm all the words of this law by observing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. There we go. You did very good. Please don't clap for yourself. I know you're not in a clapping mood tonight, but uh, just wanted. Listen, if you don't clap for me, don't clap for yourself. I'm not bitter about it. I hardly noticed. I'm just kidding, too, by the way. No, seriously, I am. No, now I'm troubled. Now I'm blushing. Yeah. Okay. Oh no, no. Oh, shameless. I'm shameless. I. How am I going to sleep tonight? That is terrible that a person would do that. It was just, thank you so much, you've made my night. (laughs) All right, chapter 28, in earnest. Very good. So now we come to chapter 28, really one of the heaviest chapters in the whole Bible. And And God is just going to reiterate to them, the blessings that are upon his uh, upon obedience and then the cursings that are upon uh, disobedience. And so Moses um, uh, lists all of the blessings in the first part of this uh, chapter. All the blessings that would be theirs if they would just simply obey his word. And then later in the chapter, all the cursings that would come upon them um, if they... Uh, disobeyed his word. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. How's that for a guarantee? How would you like to have God Almighty come to a country and say, if you will simply Obey my word. I will make you the greatest country in the whole world. That's that's something you've got to stop and think about. Look at the country we live in, the United States of America. I'm not picking on it. Again, I'm not doing a Bible study in Brazil. I, I can't talk about Brazil. We live here. We want to be salt and light here. I wonder out loud with you tonight, that if the Lord came to the United States of America to the whole general population and said I will make you the greatest nation in the world if you will simply give up your sin and obey me you will have a guarantee the greatest nation perpetually in human history what it will cost you is a willingness to abandon your sin and to obey my word. I don't know if this country would take God up on it. I don't know if we're in a place anymore as a nation that even that promise would mean enough to us to abandon the sin that we just seem so addicted to and wanting and to engage in an even greater fashion. But it's a tremendous promise. I'd sign up in a second, sign up for everybody if I could, so this is a great thing the Lord saying to them. And all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Now that's isn't that great? You just you slow down to catch your breath. Whew, another batch of blessings overtake you. That's a terrific way to live. There's blessings coming on you so fast. I mean, you slow down and another five hits you because you obey the voice of the Lord, your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. And blessed shall you be in the country. God says, I'll bless you whether you're a farmer out in the country. This blessing, it works whether you're a city dweller or you're in a rural area. Whether you're a shopkeeper in a city or you're a farmer out in in the fields. I'll bless all of you. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. He he promised them fertility of their own bodies, large families, and and large uh, uh, flocks and herds. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. In other words, they'd always have plenty of food to prepare. And we're just used to having food in the United States of America, no matter how poor we are. We can, you can get two squares a day for free in Modesto without having a penny. And, and that's not even counting what people will do for us individually, just organizations in town. I think you can get three, actually. So, but here's a blessing where God says, when you go to prepare your meals, you don't have to be looking through the cupboard to try and find something. You'll have plenty of food to prepare your meals with. I mean, these are tremendous Uh, blessings. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. I'll bless you anywhere. I'll bless you everywhere uh, you go. I'll bless you any old time of the day. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way, you know, to defeat you. They'll end up fleeing before you seven ways. And that's a way of saying that they got routed. They're running for their lives. And so the Lord was promising them uh, military victory over their enemies. And so God says, I'm going to bless you with supernatural military success. And the Lord was saying to them that... That their military and their military victories would not be dependent upon their might. They would be dependent upon their obedience to him as a people. Because ultimately they're going to disobey all of these laws and they're going to go into captivity. And God is saying, the strength of the nation is not the military. It's the moral character uh, and makeup of of the people in the nation. God said, you can feel the strongest, the bravest, the most well-equipped people that you want to put on that battlefield. But if I'm not with you on that battlefield, you're not going to win. And, and so they were to realize that militarily their security was uh, their obedience to God. And the Lord will command the blessing on your storehouses and on all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, when you put something up in a storehouse, what's that? That's savings. That's something above what you need today. That's a great blessing today. It's a great blessing then. It's a great blessing all around the world to be able to say, I've got food enough for today and I've been able to store some because of God's blessing in my life. And the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his Uh, Ways, And then all the people of the earth, they shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. God said, I'm going to give you international weight. I'm going to give you international stature. I'm going to bless you so much that even though you're a little tiny country, the whole world will look at you and say, the only explanation... For the prosperity of those people is the God that they serve. And they'll glorify God because of it. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, and in the increase of your livestock, and the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. And the Lord will open to you His good treasure. Well, what's the treasure? One of His treasures is the heavens. And one of the treasures of the heavens is rain to give you rain in your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. So he promised you obey me, I'm going to give you rain. Farmers, just when you need that rain, I'm going to give you that rain. Now those of you who are farmers in the, in the room tonight, how would you like to be what they were in Israel, and that is a dry farmer. No canals, no irrigation systems, they depended on the rain. And God says, listen, You obey me, you won't have to read the weather forecast not once all year long. I will give you the rain, I'll give you the rain when you need it. Incredible blessings. Now, one of the reasons it's important to really allow these blessings to impact us, and all the he's talking, I mean, he's talking in ways that a father and mother can understand, a farmer can understand, a a military person can understand. I mean, he's hitting us from all kinds of different ways where we go, these are amazing blessings blessings. And the reason it's important to see them as so amazing is they're going to throw them all away for sin. They're going to lightly esteem them. These are incredible things that God was offering to them. And you shall lend to many nations and you shall not borrow Again, an indication of their prosperity as a nation. They would have so much wealth they wouldn't need to borrow from other nations. They would be the, kind of the bank of the world and lending to other nations. When I, in my lifetime in the United States of America, we've gone from being the greatest lender nation in the world to being the greatest debtor nation in the world. And there's reasons for that. Things are backwards. We also have a very messed up political thing where people can't control their spending. But that's, that's not another sermon. I'm never going to do a sermon on that. It's too frustrating. But uh, no human government is perfect. But, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a trend that's unsustainable. And God promised them they wouldn't be in that kind of a place. And the Lord will make you, to be, uh, make you the head and not the tail. Now, I don't know how many of you. Uh, I've... I've owned a few dogs in my lifetime. I'd rather be the head than the tail. Every single time I'd rather be the head than the tail. And uh, so it was just a way of, of God saying, I'm going to keep you in a place of honor among the nations of the world. You shall be above only and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. And so you shall not turn aside. From any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. And so this was the promises that God had given to them to obedience. Beautiful promises. Ah, just incredible. I mean the peace you're to have with those those promises. I mean only us as Christians know it a greater peace. And then in verse 15, he starts to list the curses that would come upon them if they chose to disobey God. But it, shall come to, if, but it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to carefully observe all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country. The exact opposite of the blessing. Cursed shall be your bread, your basket and your kneading bowl. Talking about scarcity and hunger. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. And so fruitlessness instead of fruitfulness. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. And so God said, I'm going to not only do these things physically to you, but a confusion and a supernatural heaven-sent panic would come upon them. In other words, they're not going to have any protection from spiritual warfare. In fact, God is even going to put the panic in their heart. How terrible it would be to have God not putting peace in our heart, faith concerning our future in our hearts, and instead putting cursing and confusion and panic and the Lord will make the plague cling to you. So talking about the disease and sickness that would come upon them. And it will cling to you until He has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. And the Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. And they shall pursue you until you perish. And your heavens which are over your head, they're going to be like bronze. In other words, God said, I'm going to just seal the rain up. I'm not going to give you any rain. It's going to become like bronze. And the earth that's under your feet is going to be like iron. And in the, in the drought that I will send, the earth will become so hard, it'll be like iron. You won't even be able to try and plow it. And the Lord will change the rain of your land uh, to powder and dust from the heavens it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. And the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways from before them. The exact opposite of the promise. And you shall become troublesome to all the nations of the world rather than a blessing. And your carcasses after these battles shall be for food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. He said, you will die in such numbers on the battlefield, you won't be able to bury your dead. And that, was a, that would have been a difficult thing for a Jew. Whenever the, the terrorists and, and the really the, their murders. They blow up a bus in Jerusalem or something like that and then you know several people are killed and these, these bombs that go off, parts of bodies go in all directions and the rabbis and the religious leaders will come out to the site and they will find every single piece of flesh and part of a human body that can be found in order to they have a, a way that they view of properly handling the dead. So for them to have entire battlefields where Jewish bodies and Jewish blood would just be out there unburied for birds to pick at them, I mean, it was, that's as low as things could go uh, for a Jew in kind of a military uh, kind of looking at things. And the Lord shall strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. And so incurable diseases. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. Do you know, so here he's dealing with all of these physical consequences of willful disobedience against God. But there are consequences to living a life of a willful disobedience against God on a part of a child of God that go way beyond the physical. There are emotional consequences. There are mental consequences for that. That when they hit a child of God, they would that child of God would be willing to bear any physical consequence to be freed of the emotional and mental Consequences of knowing I am in the middle of this thing and I am not right with God. And so God said that would come upon them too. And you shall grope grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. And you shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually and no one shall save you. You'll be powerless to uh, stop this. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. You know, one of the things that we need to remember is is God's people in this world. I know this has a certain application to the nation of Israel historically, but it's true. We are grafted in, and and so the, the principles apply to us here. There is a world to say nothing of a demonic realm that just is waiting for a moment of weakness on our part or a moment of foolishness on our part where we're willing to open up the door and make ourselves vulnerable in terms of our relationship with God so they can sweep in and take everything that we value in life. The devil hates us the demonic realm hates us. Obedience is a place of safety against that. This is a wicked world that just looks at a chance to take what we prize most in life. I think about here is a man and his wife is taken and all and nothing else compares to that, I think, to a man or a, a wife. And, but this is a, it's a dark, cruel, mean world that's looking for an opening, we must never give it that opening through disobedience. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you, and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. In other words, they'll be sold into slavery. And your eyes, you're going to watch it happen as parents. Their children are going to bear the consequences of the sins of the fathers. They're going to be sold into slavery, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long. You will see them go off in the ships into bondage, knowing you will never see them again, and that it occurred because of your love for sin. And there shall be no strength in your hand. In other words, you'll be powerless to stop it. That's a, that's a hard thing for a man to hear. That, that could be the thing. God, and God's warning him to be forewarned. is to be forearmed. Because I don't care how strong you are. How determined you are. You put yourself in that place. And, and you're going to be powerless before the, the circumstances that will unfold. A nation whom you have not known. And and here Moses begins almost to prophesy and and, uh, really speaking of the Assyrians and the Babylonians who would ultimately conquer the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. And so you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. So, again, the weight of all of this would affect them mentally and emotionally. And the Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. And so the physical consequences, the emotional, the mental consequences of of all of these things unfolding. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you. So Moses is prophesying one day of a king that would rule over Israel and so it happened and and, uh, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you will serve other gods Wood and stone, again, speaking of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, a byword among all the nations where the Lord will drive you, and you shall carry much seed out into the field, but you'll gather little in the locusts shall consume it, you shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms will eat them, you shall have. Uh, Have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives will drop off. And so God is saying, if you put me in this place and I pour this judgment out upon you, you will not be able to reverse this curse through hard work. You can put all the people you want out in that field, out in that orchard. They can work as hard as they want. And they're not going to be able to turn this curse uh, away from you. And you shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity, become slaves. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. The aliens, so the foreigners in Israel who are among you, they're going to rise higher and higher above you. In other words, they'll lose sovereignty, control of their nation, and become controlled by foreigners, and you shall come down lower and lower. And he shall tend to you, but you shall not, he shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. And moreover, these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes and which he commanded you. You think, look at those curses, look at the judgment that is upon that sin and disobedience. You say, what in the world could produce that kind of judgment? God said, it's just very simple, It's willful disobedience against my word. That's how important obedience is to God. Even in the body of Christ, those that profess to be Christians, even in this community, there's no shortage of people that just think, well, you know, you just got to be about 60% into this thing and you kind of work this thing out. You can obey when you want and and fudge when you want and all these different kind of things. That's not how God sees it. Don't be influenced by those people. Obedience is very important to God. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. And therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. And He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until He has destroyed you. All of this judgment will be inescapable. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. Again, speaking of Babylon and and Assyria, foreign invaders now. They'll bring against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce uh, countenance, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock, the produce of your land, until you're destroyed. They shall not leave you grain, or new wine, or oil, or the increase of your cattle, or the offspring of your flocks, until they have destroyed you. And they shall besiege you at all your gates, until your high and fortified walls, in which you trust Come down throughout all your land, and they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. Now it's interesting, Assyria and Babylon will ultimately besiege the cities of, of Israel and conquer them. And in the ancient worlds, they were the experts, the masters on laying siege to a city and breaking that city down. And so God's telling them their history in advance if they disobey. And you shall eat the fruit of your own body. You think it can't get worse? It can get worse. The flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. So when Assyria and the Babylonians laid siege to the cities of Israel, Uh, The idea of laying siege to a city was that um, they would surrender because of starvation within the city. And in in Jewish history, as we'll see later on as we go through the Bible, they became so hungry within the cities, they began, as their children would die, they began to eat their own children. Uh, And so God said, this is coming into your future. The sensitive and the very refined man among you, I mean the best the best of us men among you, will be hostile toward his brother, toward his the wife of his bosom, and against the rest of his children whom he leaves behind. What makes him so hostile? So that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at the gates. He will fight them to be the one that eats his children so that he can not have to share, uh, share anything from the body. Do you believe that's in you? I believe it's in you. Uh, maybe not in everybody. I mean, we like to think, you know, I'd rather die than to do anything like that. But apart from God, and th- we're talking about people that are apart from God, you, we'd be amazed at what we would do uh, as, as descendants of, of Adam and Eve. I, I'm afraid of myself. Don't, don't be afraid. Of what kind of a pastor do we have down there? But I'm afraid of myself apart from God. And, and uh, so I, I need to walk close to the Lord. Uh, so the, the tender and the delicate woman. So it's not just men among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and her sensitivity wow she never do anything hard will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and to her daughter her placenta which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you in all your gates. And it all happened. (laughs) This is their history. All of this happened to them. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid and they shall cling to you and also every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed and you shall be left few in number whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude because you would not, not could not, you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now he's talking about his people here. He's in a covenant relationship with these people. So that's who he's he's talking to here. Their sin is worse than the sin of the Canaanites or the Edomites or the Amorites or the Hivites or the Hittites. Their sin is greater is because God had chosen the Jewish people to bring the Scriptures into human history and then one day to bring the savior of the world into human history and they were willing as a nation to throw all of that away so they could engage in whatever sin they wanted to engage in and so their judgment begins in the house of God it's a heavy judgment that he brought on them and it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked off from the land which you go to possess. So, I mean, they're hearing it ahead of time before they even go in and take the land. And then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you will serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. I'll give you you the fill of these gods. You want idolatry. You want to worship what the Babylonians worship. You want to just fiddle with that and, and do that in your homes while you claim to know me. I'll send you to Babylon. I'll put you in the middle of the kind of people that those stupid gods produce. And I'll let you get your fill of it, and then you tell me if it's fun and games playing idolatry and worshiping what everybody else worships in the world. And Israel was cured of their idolatry through their Babylonian captivity. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, anguish of soul. Your life will hang in doubt before you, and you shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you'll say, oh, that it were evening. In the evening you'll say, oh, that it were morning because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. Again, the emotional, mental consequences of, of sin. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships, so we've got a reverse exodus going on, don't we? He says, you, go into, you go into sin, you're going to end up back in Egypt as slaves again. You'll go back to Egypt in ships, by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies, The slave trade will will be centered there in Egypt and and you'll, you'll be offered to your former enemies as male and female slaves but no one will buy you. Why? So many of them. They will glut the slave market at that time until nobody wants them. They drive the price down so low. This is one of the heaviest, most sobering, passages in all of the Bible I mean it is, it is so heavy I hope it just weighs on us tonight to read through that and to realize how important obedience is in our lives you win or lose by the way you choose And that's the truth of it. For us, we don't represent a nation individually. These consequences can come on people individually. And in terms of, you watch what obedience to God's word, the life that it produces, and what disobedience uh, produces. And it's the same story. You can go all over town, all over California and the world and see this played out on an individual basis. One of the interesting things about sin is the Bible in the New Testament were warned against the deceitfulness of sin. And and the point that Paul's making there is that sin lies. And one of the lies that sin tells us is you're different. You can engage in these sins and it won't have any disastrous end for you. You're different. You can allow this disobedience or rebellion into your life. You can handle it. You're not like everybody else that can't handle it. You can handle it. You can keep it contained and small in your life. It won't become bigger and take over your life and dominate you. You're special. Or sin comes along and says, if you just let me in, just this one thing, you know you want it, you know you like it, And so you just let me in. I promise I won't move over to take over any other parts of your life. I'll just be a good boy and stay in my little place of rebellion in your life. And we believe the lie. And we allow rebellion to come into our hearts. And it begins this cycle. And I can't tell you how many people through the years that I've seen as Christians, I've seen their lives all the years I've known them, to see how blessed their life is by just simply obeying the Word of God. And then to watch how many casualties through the years of someone who bought the lie, went out to do some kind of a hybrid Christianity where they did it partly God's way, part their own way, and then you see them one day and you can't even recognize them anymore. And a lot of them aren't alive to this day, candidly, in the 23 years that I've, I've been here. It's serious. Obedience is serious. It's serious to God. Needs to be serious to us. The worship team would come forward. That would be.